Welcome to the Accelerate Podcast, hosted by the Daniels College of Business Executive Education Division at the University of Denver in Colorado. I'm Janet Redwine, and I'll be your host, along with Bailey Program for Family Enterprise Director, Helena Karsher. This podcast was originally recorded as part of the Accelerate webinar series. Launched in 2020, these webinars are designed to help you accelerate your capacity to deliver results for your organization. Each episode includes a presentation from an expert faculty member, followed by a short question and answer session. The goal is that you will gain new insight about yourself, your community, your organization, and even our world. Find more details by visiting daniels.du.edu slash accelerate. Today, we're looking back at our webinar with Joshua Nacht from April of 2023. As a family business consultant, Joshua has found that enterprising families are most successful when they have a common and formalized understanding of their working relationship. In the webinar, he explained what kind of agreements your family needs, why you need them, and how you might go about creating them. Joshua is a faculty member teaching in the Bailey Program for Family Enterprise, a resource hub for family businesses and family offices to learn and connect with others dedicated to sustainable growth and multi-generational success. It's not that there's uh, strict rights and wrongs. It's more what works for your system, what are the agreements that you've made around how people interact. Stay with us. Welcome everyone. We're here today to talk about roles, responsibilities, and boundaries and the agreements that enterprising families need to best work together. In my work with families, some of the biggest challenges I've seen have come from a lack of understanding or a misunderstanding about people's roles, responsibilities, and boundaries in the system. What I've found in working with families is that when roles, responsibilities, and boundaries are clearly defined, and there's clear agreements amongst everyone in the system, it helps everyone do their job better because they understand what their role is, what they're responsible for, as well as the limits of that job or that role. When there's clear agreements between everybody, that helps the system function better because nobody's stepping on each other's toes and everybody works better as a team. What I wanna do is start off by talking about the roles. Um, and the roles that I have here are examples from a lot of the work that I do with families. I, I work a lot with multi-generational families, maybe in their third, fourth, or fifth generation, where the system is more complex. You have an ownership group. Sometimes that ownership group consists of people who work in the business, but oftentimes there's also non-operating owners. So for this graphic here, I just have ownership, but sometimes it helps to separate that out between operating and non-operating owners. In this example too, I have family governance, for example, a family council or family ownership council, depending on what works in your system. Also with the, a lot of the systems I work with, these families have a board of directors for the business. Uh, sometimes that's just family members, but oftentimes that includes independent members as well. And I also have management because you always have management running the business. I would encourage you to take everything that I say today and adapt it to your system so your roles your graphic for this may look somewhat different, but it, this is a sample that's representative of a lot of the families that I work with. And what, what I encourage families to do at this stage is to define all the roles in the system. 
clearly defining what each role is, and then we can look at what they do. Once you have the roles defined, you want to look at the responsibilities for each role. And that's really for each role, what are the big picture responsibilities and decisions that they're responsible for? Who makes the final decision? Who has input about that decision? Who needs to be informed about that decision? This is particularly true for families when there's business governance and you have a board of directors involved. And I'm gonna give an example that helps illustrate this. I worked with a family where they made an acquisition, a pretty sizable acquisition, and in short order, a couple things happened. They had some market changes and COVID hit. As we all know, that caused a lot of problems for a lot of families. But what happened here is that the acquisition started to go south. The company was not performing, and the family ended up at, well, the, the, what happened is they started to bump up against their bank covenants because they had taken on a lot of debt for this situation. They were no longer able to pay dividends to the owners. Obviously, this caused some distress because this is a fourth generation family business. Um, dividends had been something that had been consistent over time, and all of a sudden the financial picture was changing. There were some owners who said, we understand what happened here, we need to keep going. There were some owners that said, why weren't we involved in the decision to buy this business? Why weren't we more informed about what was going on with this business? And they started to question why they weren't more involved in the decision-making process. And what happened is it showed that there was a lack of understanding, and there, there was actually a misunderstanding there, of the various roles in the system. Because certain shareholders uh, who served on the board or who were working in management said, this process went just according to plan. Some other owners said, we should have been more involved in this decision. And again, what it revealed was a gap in the understanding about who was making what decisions in the system. So when I started to work with them, one of the things I identified, they did surveys and were able to identify that different people are different, thinking different things in terms of who makes this decision and who has input on the decision. So the work with this family then is to develop a system where everybody knows their roles, but also what the responsibilities are for those roles. That includes who has approval over decisions and accountability. Who is accountable to who? When we look back at this rolled slide, oftentimes family governance is accountable to the owners. The board of directors is also accountable to the owners, but the management team is directly accountable to the board of directors. So what you wanna do is set up clear understanding of the roles, the responsibilities, and also who is accountable to who, who reports to who in the system. As part of that, encourage families to look at what are the communication expectations. When you have these roles, you wanna be clear about how ownership is communicating with family governance, how family governance is communicating with the board of directors. Obviously management will report to the board of directors, but there can be clear communication expectations too. In the example I gave earlier, some of the problems started to arise when ownership was going directly to the non-family CEO. 
to ask what happened, why did this happen, why were we not more involved, when according to their agreements, a higher functioning way to do that would have been to go through family governance who communicates with the board of directors. Again, take all of these examples with a grain of salt and when I'm speaking about them, please think about how they uh, apply to your system and how you would adapt anything I'm saying to your specific system. It's not that there's uh, strict rights and wrongs, it's more what works for your system, what are the agreements that you've made around how people interact. So as we look at the responsibilities uh, in terms of decision-making, accountability, and communication expectations, you also have to look at what are the boundaries, what are the limits of decision-making. In the case that I gave, um, that was actually not a shareholder decision. The decision to make that acquisition was done at the board level in conjunction with management because it fit into their long-term strategy. That was not a shareholder level decision. In the example I gave earlier, the most appropriate way for the shareholders to express their concerns and ask questions would have been to go through the family governance system who would then speak with the board of directors and the board could then decide this is the correct and appropriate information for the shareholders. That speaks directly then to the communication guidelines and the understanding of how, who can communicate directly with one another and where some of the limits of those interactions are. I think you can understand the difficulties that could be caused if every shareholder, in this case roughly 35 people, has a direct line of communication to the CEO that could force the CEO into some very uncomfortable conversations as well as take up his or her time in a way that may really limit how they're able to do their job. So I view responsibilities and boundaries as sort of a polarity. If you are identifying the responsibilities involved in certain roles, you also have to identify the boundaries to that role. What are the limits of decision making? What are the limits of interaction? And what are the communication guidelines? What's appropriate and what's not appropriate? I would also highlight that with communication guidelines in these systems, I think it can be really helpful for families to establish ground rules. What are the expectations for how we interact as a family? Um, this can be directly tied with family values. And in general, they're showing the respect um, and the, the expectations of appropriate communication between family members and uh, at the governance levels. So I'd like to mention something about communication guidelines and I see a lot of families take some time to create a ground rule statement or some type of expectation about communication to ensure respectful interactions, to ensure that all perspectives are heard and that all perspectives are listened to. Uh, a lot of times communication guidelines can be directly tied to families' value statements because um, family values and communication oftentimes go hand in hand. So once you've established the roles and the responsibilities and the boundaries, these statements can turn into agreements. And at this stage, what we're looking at are things like purpose statements. What is the purpose of the family? What is their vision? What do you want as a group of shareholders for the long-term success of the family and the business? So 
that those type of statements generally originate from the shareholder group. Other agreements include the governance charters, and those are uh, a more formal, legalized process for a board of directors, but a more informal process for a family council. Family council also requires a charter to say, what's the purpose of the family council? What are the roles and responsibilities of individuals, but also the council itself? And how might the family council interact with the board of directors? Again, what are the appropriate lines of communication? And what are the expected interactions between these two governance bodies? As I mentioned earlier in terms of decision-making, a tool that we find uh, really effective with families is the decision matrix. And that is basically uh, a grid where across the top you have the various major roles, like in the case or in the example I gave earlier, management, board of directors, family council, and owners. And then on the left side, you have all the major decisions. Who makes the final decision? Who needs to be informed about this decision? Who has input on that decision? The decision matrix is a really effective tool to help everybody in the system know who makes what decisions, who needs input on that decision, and who needs to be informed about that decision. It's a really helpful tool so everybody can see at a glance what those responsibilities are so they can know how to make the most effective decisions and what the most effective decision-making process is. The decision matrix is something that I encourage uh, to be created with a stakeholder group. So in the case that, it, that I gave earlier, this family is working with a stakeholder group from ownership, from their family council, from the board of directors, and from the management team to come together as a group to say, how can we make the most effective decisions? And let's make sure we are working together as a team and we're not stepping on each other's toes. I also find a lot of families benefit from making a system-wide organizational chart. So, you know, a lot of uh, businesses have an organizational chart that shows a lot of the things that I'm talking about. There's a, there's a hierarchy, who reports to who, who are direct reports. You can also create the same for a family system um, where you have the owners represented by the family council, the lines of communication to the board of directors, and their lines of communication to management. When you have an organizational chart like this, you can then overlay roles and responsibilities, communication expectations, as well as those boundaries. It's really a, a visual way to depict this. And again, I'd suggest that something like this is created by a group of people. It's generally not done by one person. Uh, a lot of times family governance can lead the way on working with something like this, but also in conjunction with the board of directors and, and maybe a representative from management. The last agreement that I think could be really beneficial as we've talked about are those ground rules for communication. Um, and that can go not just between family members or owners, but between the governance systems as well. If you have a family office, you can see how this applies to a family office and some things may, to be, may need to be adjusted. You may not have a family council. You may not have a board of directors, but you will certainly have interactions between people in the family office and representatives from the family. So to recap, I really encourage family businesses of all sizes to look at how they can work best together by 
defining roles, looking at the responsibilities of those roles, as well as the boundaries between interactions. Once you have these three, you can create agreements so everybody has a common understanding of how they work together and how they interact together. This applies to small family businesses going from first generation to second generation, as well as to more complex systems in their fourth, fifth, and sixth generations, as well as to family offices. So I encourage you to take everything that I've talked about today and see how it applies to your unique system, how you have to adapt it to your system, and to create these types of agreements with a group of people so you get everybody's perspectives involved, so you have outcomes that everybody can live with, and everybody says, yes, that helps us function better together as a family system. I'm aware that everything I've talked about today might sound a bit daunting, but when you walk through a process with a group of people, it can actually be a very uh, interesting and efficient process to look at your roles, your responsibilities and boundaries, and it can really be something that helps everybody in the system. I live here on the Front Range. I would be happy to talk with you about your system and how we can look at creating roles, responsibilities, boundaries, and agreements. So please feel free to get in touch with me. I look forward to your questions and addressing them as best I can. Great, well thanks so much, Josh. That was really enlightening and so much to think about. And I have one question to start, which is just in the episode that you were just talking about, in that circumstance, about how long does that process take? That's a really good question. So this process uh, generally takes months to a year. Okay. It shouldn't take too much more than a year. And again, that really depends on how big the system is, how many people are involved, how many different roles there are. Right. Uh, but I would expect that most families could do this within two to three quarters, so six to nine months. Okay. Okay, and another question. What are some of the most common issues that families come to you with when it comes to roles and responsibilities? Just give us some examples of what you tend to see a lot of. What I see the most is a lot of confusion around roles and responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And uh, I know I gave the example earlier of you know, a fourth generation family. I also worked with a first gen, first gen to second generation family. Um, and the dad couldn't decide who should lead the business between the three brothers. So he had made the three brothers co-CEOs. Mm. And there was a lot of confusion amongst the brothers. They were co-CEOs, but who makes what decisions? What decisions do, they, do we make together, they were saying? Uh, what decisions do each of us get to make individually because right. that's my area of responsibility? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of confusion and it was actually starting to be a drag on the business because in some cases where it should have been an individual decision, they took it to the group and then all of a sudden everybody was making a decision so it was a real right. drag on efficiency. Right. Or sometimes they would make a decision and everybody said, wait, why didn't you talk with us about that? Mm -hmm. So that type of confusion can really be a drag on the business function. Right, right, okay. And speaking of that first generation to second generation and, and succession planning and continuity there, what are some of the things that someone who is in that rising generation might wanna immediately tackle in terms of these agreements and boundaries? If you imagine someone in that circumstance, what are some of the really urgent priorities for them? 
I think that people in the rising generation can really take the approach of, hey, if I'm going to be here long term, it's going to be to my benefit, it's going to be to everybody's benefit to better define what our roles are, mm -hmm. what those responsibilities are, right. um, and to make agreements on that. So a lot of times I see the older generation saying, well, we, we know this, right? And the younger generation saying, no, actually, we don't know this. Mm -hmm. So it helps to reduce assumptions right. throughout the system. And I can see the, the rising generation being a real um, motivational force in helping to create the agreements mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, because they're going to be in the system long term right. and they know it's going to be to their benefit long term. And oftentimes they have more motivation and energy to engage in a process like mm -hmm. this where the older generation might say, yeah, that's a really good thing for you guys to do. I don't right. think I want to do that. Right. And what I hear too then is then they're more in invested because they've had a say in some of those agreements. So maybe some things are in place, but they're asking new questions, they're asking things in a different way that might bring something else to light. And they get a chance to work with their siblings mm -hmm. or work with their cousins mm -hmm. to work that out together. Right. You know, that's why I really encouraged a, a task force approach or a group of stakeholders where people get together and say, all right, some things are clear. And then there's a lot of things where it's like, well, that's actually not so clear. So how do we want to create it? It could go a couple right. different ways. Right. So I see when people are working together to make the agreements, it's really mm -hmm. effective because mm -hmm. then there's consensus, mm -hmm. there's buy-in, and everybody understands, mm -hmm. yeah, we created this together. Right, right. A lot of creativity, cohesion, and getting to know each other maybe more deeply in that process itself. It can be a really effective way for people to engage, yeah. uh, get to know each other better, and really look at how do we best work together as a, as a family enterprise. Wow, great, great. So another question, Josh, is just what are some of the times, the really important points in transitions or growth where it's important to then relook at some of this? What are some examples of that? Yeah, that's a good question because I think that all of these agreements do need to be revisited uh, over time. You know, it's not the sort of thing you create and then you put it away and, and never look at right, again. Right. I really recommend families look at them maybe every three to five years mm -hmm. or when there's big changes. Uh, big changes can include maybe spouses coming to work in the business. You know, all of a sudden you have in-laws and, and what's their role? What are the mm -hmm. expectations there? Right. Um, when you start to find dual roles, you know, because some people may be looking at the roles that I put up there and say, well, wait a second. I'm an owner, uh, I'm on the management team, and I also mm -hmm. serve on the board of directors. Nice. So what role are we talking about? So I think it's okay to address multiple roles mm -hmm. as part of these agreements. Mm -hmm. And I think that anytime you start to notice that the, what you've laid out in terms of the roles, the responsibilities, or the agreements mm -hmm. are not meeting your current needs, um, that can include you know, the growth of the business, uh, maybe there is an acquisition, somebody's taking on a new division, um, as well as just the natural growth of a family. As we all know, families mm -hmm. grow significantly, mm -hmm. second, third, fourth generations. So as the family grows in complexity, right. the agreements have to, to also match the growing family. Okay, okay. One more question is, what kind of help, support, resources, advisors should a family be trying to bring in to help them with this kind of activity? I think um, some of the best resources can be people who are skilled at facilitation, mm -hmm. you know, and that who have a process for, for walking through this right. with families. Um, 
myself and, and other professional colleagues from Family Business Consulting Group, we've really looked at, okay, what's, what's the process for walking families through mm -hmm. this? Mm -hmm. And I think what's important is that I don't have all the answers and I can't tell people exactly what it should look like. Right. We have to adapt um, the needs of the family, the needs of the system mm -hmm. to whatever agreements are gonna work there. So I think rather than somebody saying, oh, I know what you should do, it's more of a process of facilitation mm -hmm. and also gathering everybody's perspectives. Um, some things are more clear, like with regards to a board of directors, mm -hmm. but some of the interactions like between ownership and a family council or, or any sort of representative group, it may not be as clear. So I think it's okay. really important to gather together a group of people um, from, with various perspectives to get their input, to appreciate their perspectives, and then come up with agreements that everybody can agree to. We're building consensus. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a really part, a really important part of having agreements that everybody can say, yeah, that fits, I can live with that, mm -hmm. I had input on that, and that's gonna work for us going forward. Right. So I think a really important part of this process is that everybody's perspectives are heard, people are listened to, mm -hmm. and that families work towards consensus with the mm -hmm. agreements that they make. That way everybody um, has had input, they can live with it, and they say, yes, this will really work for us mm -hmm. going mm -hmm. forward. Great, that makes sense. Well, thank you so much, Josh. Thanks for joining us this summer on the Accelerate podcast from the University of Denver's Daniels Executive Education Division. As a reminder, you can find more information about the Bailey Program for Family Enterprise by visiting daniels.du.edu accelerate. We hope you gain new insight that will accelerate your impact in your community, your organization, and in the world.